Well, good morning. I don't know if you are like I am. I suspect you are, but I have a tendency to not want to ask other people for help. That I want to do things on my own. I don't want to bother other people. And sometimes I also don't want to bother God with it. I just want to do it myself. And oftentimes when I do that, there's a cost. I was reminded recently about these uh, railroad ties I have at my house. I ordered some to do some landscaping and put in this little garden next to the house, but I had them dumped off, and, and these railroad ties weigh about 200 pounds each. And the smart thing would have been to get someone to help me. But instead, I insisted on doing them on my own, and I would try to drag them. You couldn't push them. I tried to roll them. Eventually, I did find a solution. It was like a, a bodybuilder that's lifting something real heavy. I would get down and get, get the tie just at my knees and then at my waist, and then I'd push it over my head, and I began to kind of roll them like that. A project that should have taken 20 minutes if I had help took a couple hours, probably almost broke my back in the process just because I didn't want to ask someone for help, that I thought, I got this, I can do this. Well, I, I needed help. And sometimes there's a serious cost involved if we don't get help. I don't remember what triggered this in my mind, but I was thinking this past week of the time that one of my older brothers set the field behind our house on fire when I was growing up. He, he was playing a game of dare with some of his friends. I don't know where they got the matches, but the game went this way. One would light a fire, and as it would, it would begin to move out in a circle, then he'd stomp it out, and the goal was for the next person to, to make a little bigger circle and see who could build the biggest fire and, and put it out without burning everything down. I mean, that was their, their little game. And it was my brother's turn, and by now the circle was probably about six feet in diameter. He had lit this thing, and it was time to put it out. He had, his was a lot bigger than the other guy's. But when he went to put it out, the other guy thought it'd be funny to hold him down and keep him from stomping it out. He thought he'd scare him. And so he got on top of my brother and they were wrestling and my brother was saying, let me go. And the guy didn't want to let him go. And finally, my brother broke free and he began to stomp at that. But it wasn't working. And when his so-called friend realized it wasn't working, he took off running, left it all to my brother. And it was making its way to the woods. And if it hit the woods, it might burn down the whole neighborhood. My older brother ran into the house calling for help. And my other two brothers and I, the four of us, grabbed pans from the kitchen, filled them up with water, ran out, poured it all over, but it wasn't keeping up. And at this point, my older brother had the presence of mind to call the fire department which I thought was really smart because sometimes people think I'll get in trouble. I certainly can't call the fire department, but he did that. And the next thing you knew, the truck was riding out there and they put out the fire in no time. I don't think that he had uh, or gotten trouble over it at all. But I was glad he reached out for help because sometimes we think I've got this. I can do this. I don't need help when actually we do. And many times, too, I think there are things that we reach for for ourselves that we should really be taking to God. And we're not realizing that what a difference God could make in this. We think, again, I've got this. And yet God wants to be involved with so many of these things.
Now, my takeaway here today relates to a guy we're going to be talking about all morning, Jacob. And the takeaway is to run to the Father, because I especially want to talk today about the importance of not trying to bear a burden alone, trying to do things by ourselves, instead reaching out to our Heavenly Father, because He just waits to help us. Now, Jacob, as many of you know, was the grandson of Abraham. Abraham and, and his wife Sarah had a child later on in life. He was 100, she was 90. It was like a miracle baby, and Isaac was born. Isaac eventually married a woman named Rebecca, and at first they were not able to have kids, but then she became pregnant with twins after they prayed about it. They sought God about it, and suddenly she was pregnant with twins. But here's where we begin our story related to Jacob. As we're going to see in a minute here, Jacob was the kind of person that always was grabbing things for himself, always taking things on his, on his plate that he should not have, always manipulating things to his favor, and he wasn't, wasn't seeking God about it, and he wasn't seeking others about it. And what's interesting to me about the story of Jacob is that this grandson of Abraham, who was the father of our faith, this... this um, young man, his story actually begins before he was even born. And that's where I want to begin the story because as Rebecca was carrying these two babies, Jacob and Esau, twins, there was like a wrestling match going on in there and she was asking God about it. And we pick up the story in Genesis 25 beginning in verse 22. Where we read, the children inside her struggled with each other and she, Rebecca, said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, the older in this story was Esau, the younger was Jacob. And so God was telling Rebecca, the reason that you're experiencing so much turmoil in your womb is that you got two boys that are going to become the father of two different nations. In fact, those boys each will end up having 12 boys themselves. But the younger of the two, Jacob, would end up being the, the greater of the two. And of course, modern-day Israel comes from, from Jacob. Why is this story found in the Bible, though? I think it's to show an early picture of what Jacob was like. Even in the womb, I think he was the one that was starting the fight. I mean, I can't prove that, but I think this story is included because even in the womb, Jacob was wrestling with his brother, reaching for himself, for things for himself. Now, part of the reason I say that has to do with what happened next. In verse 24, we read, when her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. So Esau came out first, but as soon as he was completely out, they noticed that there was a hand on, on his foot there, it's almost as if Jacob was trying to pull him back into the womb. Now again, I think this is like a picture of the way Jacob was. He was always grabbing things for himself, always thinking, I've got this, I can do this, and instead of looking to God or instead of looking to other people. 
Instead, what he should have learned to do is to run to others and also run to God. Now, Jacob's name is kind of interesting, and there are a lot of Bible names that have a real meaning, but they also have a meaning that sounds like something else. And this is Jacob's case. Let me explain what I mean. According to A.P. Ross, the name Jacob means may he, God, provide. So it's a nice name, you know, Jacob. May he provide, may God provide, which is kind of what we're talking about here today. May God provide, not you, may God provide. But the name Jacob sounds like something else. It sounds like it means he who grasps the heel, he who takes things for himself, he who deceives. K.A. Matthew writes this way, in our passage, the sound of the name Jacob is a play on the words heel and deceived. That the child attacks the heel, conveys the ideas of deception, betrayal, and opportunism. And so Jacob's name really meant something nice, but when people heard the name, they thought deceiver. They thought someone who grabs the heel, someone who usurps, taking things for himself. Now, the first example where we see Jacob as a young man, though, acting in this way to take something for himself is when he was, both of them, a young man, and he was cooking something in the kitchen. Now, these two boys were very different from one another. It was already indicated that his older brother Esau, of course, they're twins, but the older brother Esau was hairy from head to toe. Uh, Jacob wasn't. He was like smooth like a baby's bottom. So they were different in that regard. But in addition to that, Esau was a hunter, and so he loved being outdoors. And Esau, by the way, was Isaac's favorite son. You're not supposed to have favoritisms, but he, he was the favorite of Isaac. But Jacob was a homebody, and he loved being in the kitchen, and he was Rebecca's favorite son. And so one day... Jacob was cooking in the kitchen. He was making some lentil stew, and his brother comes in. And let's read what happens, beginning in verse 30 of Genesis 25. Esau said to Jacob, let me have some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why he's also named Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die, so what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, Bible times, the firstborn son was given special honor. It was, it was a physical honor and a spiritual honor. It was representative of, of the first uh, strength of the Father that God had provided, but oftentimes it also meant you got more of an inheritance. K.A. Matthews writes about this, societies of the ancient Near East typically recognized the eldest son by granting him privilege, which usually involved inheritance rights over younger sons. Precisely what the birthright consisted of for Esau and Jacob is unknown, although in the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, the right of the firstborn entitled a double share of the father's bequest. You got a, a double inheritance. Whatever the right included, it must have been viewed as valuable to Jacob's ambitions. Jacob knew, I'm sure, the prophecy that he would be greater than his brother, but what do we find him doing? 
We find him manipulating his circumstances to get something for himself. And so he waits till his brother is absolutely famished. His brother comes in. He's so hungry, and he wants some food, and he says, would you give me some? And Jacob already has a plan. You know, he's taking things for himself. Well, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright for this meal. Now, the crazy thing is Esau went along with it. And if you read other passages in the New Testament, you discover that Esau is regarded as someone who, for the physical things of this world, set aside the spiritual things. For a single meal, gave away something so valuable as this firstborn right privilege. But again, we see something about what Jacob was like, always grabbing for himself. But the story doesn't end there. When the boys got older and their father Isaac was so old that he thought he was gonna die also, in his age, he couldn't see, he was blind. Isaac thought he was gonna die and so he called Esau into him and he said, I believe I'm gonna die here today and I wanna offer a blessing to you. Now in biblical times, before one of the people of faith died, oftentimes they pronounced a blessing over their kids. It wasn't something I don't believe they made up. I think it's something maybe God gave them to speak over their kids. But obviously Isaac was viewing Esau as the firstborn. Even though Jacob had won the firstborn rights, he calls Esau in and he says, I want to offer you this blessing before I die. So what I want you to do, he said, is go out and hunt some game, which you love to do, and prepare a meal for me. Then you bring it in. And after I've eaten the meal, I'll give the blessing on your life. And so Esau left, and he went hunting. The problem was that Rebekah, who favored Jacob, heard this conversation. And so she said to Jacob, hey, listen, I heard your dad talking with Esau and, and how he wants this meal, and then he's going to give this, this blessing in the presence of the Lord before he dies. What I want you to do, Jacob, is you go get some goats, and you bring them in here, and I'll prepare a meal. And then you go in your brother's closet, basically, and dress in his clothes, and, and then I want you to go to dad. And of course, he's blind, so he can't see the difference. Go, and you give him the meal, and then dad will bless you instead. Now, to his credit, initially, Jacob doesn't go for it, not because he's not a manipulator, but because he was scared to death. Dad would find out. You see, the two boys were different in a couple ways. Number one, their voices were a little different. I have a twin brother, by the way, and our voices are just a little bit different. Mine is better. <laughs> but their the voices were, were different. But in addition to that, I already mentioned that, that Esau was hairy and, and Jacob wasn't. And so Jacob said to his mother, Rebecca, listen, if I do this and dad finds out, he's going to curse me instead of bless me. Rebecca had a plan for that. And by the way, we learned from Rebecca's example that maybe Part of Jacob's problem was his mom, because she was a manipulator too. She said, this is what we'll do. You prepare that meal and everything. Uh, you put on your brother's clothes and everything. As far as the hairiness problem, what I want you to do is bring some furs to me and I'll attach the furs to your hands and, and the exposed areas of your neck and everything so that if dad wants to feel, he'll see, he'll see that you are really Esau. And so Jacob went along with it. He walks into the room where Isaac is, and he announces himself, 
I'm Jake, or I'm, I'm Esau. I came to uh, give you the meal you requested. Well, there was no doubt in my mind that Isaac was suspicious immediately. How'd you get it so quickly, he said. And the answer Jacob gave, and he was pretty good at this, but the answer he gave was, the Lord helped me get it. That's why I'm back so quickly. Which is what people do, by the way, with God many times. It's the Lord. And so he presented the meal to his father while his father still wasn't sure. And he asked him outright, are you really Esau because you sound like Jacob to me? Jacob lied, yes, I'm Esau. His dad still didn't believe it, so he asked him again, are you really Esau? You see, he recognized the voice. He said, you, just, you, you sound like Jacob. You're telling me you're Esau, but you sound like Jacob. But Jacob lied again, no, I'm Esau. And then his father grabbed him and they kissed. In verse 27, it says, so he came closer and kissed him. And then it goes on to say, when Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and of new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. The plan worked. But, as we'll see in a minute, there were some consequences. You see, often there are consequences when we try to manipulate things in our own favor. In either case, Jacob got out of there, and almost as soon as he left, his brother shows up with the meat and begins to prepare a meal. Then, and then Esau went in to see his dad, and he announced, I'm here, dad. This is Esau. I've got the meal you wanted. The text indicates that Isaac began to shake violently. He said, who was this that came before? I, I have already eaten the meal. I've already given away the blessing. And then both of them, I think, at that moment understood what happened. Isaac said this in verse 35 of Genesis 27, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So he said, well, isn't he rightly named Jacob? That's what Esau said. For he's cheated me twice now. He took my birthright and look, now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you saved a blessing for me? Unfortunately, the answer was no. You, you don't just spin out blessings. He said to Esau, I've given the best to your brother. He's going to prosper. You're not. Life's going to be hard for you is basically what he says to him. The only consolation, he said for Esau, is this, that when you get older, eventually you'll break the chains off of you from him. You'll break free of him. Eventually, you'll come into your own, is what he was saying. Now, here's where the story kind of takes a bleak turn because he decided, Esau decided, I'm going to kill my brother. There are an awful lot of biblical characters, by the way, that had a desire to kill some of their brothers, aren't there? He said, as soon as Isaac dies, I'm going to kill my brother. Now, somehow he must have told this to somebody because Rebecca heard about it. And she thought, I don't, I don't want to lose Jacob, so what am I going to do? And she came up with a, another plan, another scheme. She went in to see Isaac, and she said, Jacob needs a wife, and I don't want him to find a wife from around here, so can, can we send him back to our homeland? 
to meet someone over there, which was a long distance away, and Isaac went for it. He said, sure, and Jacob took off. My point is this, though, for the next 20 years, Jacob lived away from home. For the next 20 years, he was scared for his life. It wasn't easy for him because he manipulated things in his favor. Even though God had said, I'll bless you, all he needed to do was turn to God, but he was always grabbing things for himself. Now, you can read for yourself what happened during the next 20 years because we find more stories of Jacob manipulating things and grabbing things for himself. But at the end of 20 years, God told Jacob, you need to go back because God wanted his people in the promised land, not here. And so Jacob began to head back. And here's where we get to the most interesting story of Jacob's life and the beginning of one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. It's just an odd story. Jacob gathered his wife. By now he was married. He had a few wives. He had several children, and he had become rich in those 20 years. So God had indeed blessed him despite his deceit. But now he was making his way home, and we read in Genesis 32:1, Jacob went on his way, and God's angels met him. When he saw them, Jacob said, this is God's camp, so he called the place Mahanim. That's all that's said about it. So he's, he's on his way home. He's anticipating seeing his brothers, or his brother, I think he's scared to death. And then all of a sudden he sees some angels. He doesn't talk to the angels. It's just like a, a lone verse that's thrown in there. Why? Well, I remind you that this isn't the only time he saw angels when he first left home, he also saw a vision or a dream of angels going up and down a ladder. Some of you have sung the children's song about Jacob's ladder. Seeing these angels, what was it meant to communicate? I think God was trying to tell him, you don't have to do this anymore. I've got this. I'm watching out for you. I'm protecting you. I am here. It was the beginning of God being beginning to work in Jacob's life. Stop grabbing things for yourself. Stop manipulating things. Trust me to do things for you. Start turning things over to me. But the story continues, and here's where we get the, to the really odd part of the story. As Jacob got closer, he came up with a scheme to pacify his brother. He decided to bribe him. He, he sent a bunch of gifts, a bunch of animals, a bunch of his, some of his wealth. He sent a bunch of it with his servants to go see Esau. Well, the servants came back, and the message wasn't good. The messengers said, well, we ran into Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and he's got 400 men with him. Now, if you were Jacob, what would you think was about to happen here? I think Jacob thought, this is it. 400 men are coming to meet me, Esau. You know, I sent this gift, but he's insisting on coming with this whole army. This is the first time that I find Jacob really turning to God. It's found in Genesis 32, beginning in verse 9. It says, Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Go back to your land and to your family, and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children. You have said I will cause you to prosper, and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, which cannot 
be counted. It's a wonderful prayer. And I read this and I say, it's about time. It's just about time for someone that's scheming his whole life, manipulating his whole life, reaching for things in his whole life, he finally turns to God and says, I'm scared to death. And then his prayer is effective for this reason. I think the most effective prayers anyone can pray are ones that, that speak back to God what God has already said. It's when we claim his promises. He reminded God, you told me you'd prosper me. You told me you'd bless me. You're the one that told me to go back and I'm doing all of this and so I come to you. Those are prayers I think God loves to answer when he's made a promise to us and we claim that promise. And then we read in verse 24 the, the interesting story. It says this, Jacob was left alone. He sent everyone ahead, by the way, across the river. He found himself alone. He, I don't know why he wanted to spend the night alone, but we read in verse 24, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip, hip pocket, or socket, I'm sorry, as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. Jacob, he replied, your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, and I have been delivered. Now, there's kind of a lot to this story, but it's kind of bizarre. So he's there by himself and all of a sudden a mystery guy shows up and they wrestle all night long. It's not until the morning that Jacob discovered who this was, it was God. Now, that might surprise some of us because when you read the story, you heard some things that make us think it was just an ordinary man. We, we know it was God because Jacob said that, I've seen God face to face. And this was someone that was able to bless him. We know it was God, but at the same time, this was someone who it says they wrestled all night and he couldn't defeat Jacob. Why? Well, because the match was never about defeating Jacob. It was really about dislocating his hip. It was about putting him in his place. It was about coming to the end of his wrestling days. You see, this is the story of a guy that began with wrestling in the womb, and now you come to the end of the story and he's wrestling and he's wrestling, and he's wrestling, and he can't win. He finally found an opponent he can't win against. But God wanted him to get to that point because I don't think God could bless him until he got to that point. Came to the end of himself, said, I'm tired with wrestling. But the, the other reason why people struggle with believing this was God is that he asked Jacob what his name was. And if it's God, of course, he'd know Jacob's name. Well, he did know Jacob's name. He was getting Jacob to pronounce his name. A.P. Ross explains why. When one remembers that in the Old Testament one's name is linked to his nature, the point becomes clear. Jacob's pattern of life had to be radically changed. In saying his name, Jacob, Jacob had to reveal his whole nature. Here the heel catcher was caught and had to confess his true nature before he could be blessed. And then Ross continues, Jacob, the deceitful fighter, was crippled by a supernatural blow 
In a word, like so many of his rivals, Jacob now encountered someone he could not defeat. The most interesting part of this story was that God changed his name to Israel. You're not going to be the person who goes after the heel anymore. You're not going to be the person who's always reaching for things for himself, the manipulator. No more. That is gone. That is the past. No, you will now be called Israel. Now, for years, commentators have thought that the name Israel meant he wrestles with God because that's kind of what it sounds like. He wrestles with God. But modern commentators think differently. They think God is the subject, and I agree with them. What the name means is God wrestles. God fights. God will fight for you is the idea. God is reminding Jacob, stop wrestling. Stop fighting for yourself, and let me fight your battles for you. That's what I believe his name means. Now, how do we apply this today? Well, there are a lot of situations where I think we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. For example, somebody mistreats you, and in malice you think, I need to get even with this person. That's not what we're to do. This is something we turn over to God. In Romans 12, 17, we read, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do good what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. God is able to take care of people that wrong us. We do not need to take that matter into our own hands. I've known in my own life that sometimes when it came to the financial realm, I wanted to take matters into my own hands instead of going to God about it. Lord, I have this need. That's what I should have done and prayed to him. Instead, what did I do? I found ways to shuffle around credit cards and things to pay for the debt. I found a way to manipulate things so that the pain was removed instead of trusting that maybe God could take care of me. Some of you are students and you're going to be tempted to take matters into your own hand by cheating on a test and say, well, I can't, I'm not going to do well unless I do this. What about turning to God about it? What about praying about it, asking him? What about running to the Father? Some of you are in a work environment and you see other people being promoted and you think, well, the only way to get ahead is to, to step over other people as I climb the ladder of success. What about taking it to God? Let him do it. And perhaps the most important area where we need to trust God is our eternal destiny because most people think that they can earn eternal life. They're trying to work their way, try to manipulate circumstances so that God accepts them into heaven. We can't. We can't do anything to get right with God. God did it when he sent his son to be the savior of the world. Our only response is to turn to him. I'm going to wrap this up in just a moment, but we're going to sing a song for you right now that kind of summarizes what I talked about this morning. It's called Run to the Father, and I encourage you just to listen to those words. Think of areas in your life where you need to be turning to the Father instead of taking matters into your own hands.
carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. Thank you.
that you are for us, and if you are for us, who can stand against us? We acknowledge, oh Lord, that we have a, a bad habit of trying to do things on our own and not looking to you, starting with our eternal destiny. Lord, that we, we, we can't work for that, we can't earn that. We need a savior, we need a deliverer, which you've provided for us through Jesus, and we're so grateful for that. But Lord, as we face situations in the days ahead where we're tempted to take matters into our own hands or manipulate things in our favor, Lord, we want to be ones who instead run to you. We ask you to, ask you to remind us of these things because there is life, O oh Lord, in turning to you and finding that you are a God that does love us and does want to bless us. And yet it seems that there's a hindrance in doing so when we take matters into our own hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.